0: Chapter 12 of Hebrews, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? but if you are without chastening of which all have become which all have become partakers then you are illegitimate and not sons furthermore we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this, many become defiled. we'll We'll stop reading there. <clears throat> this is a familiar passage. I've been looking at this passage for some weeks, and uh, in the past months, I've thought about it different times and looked at it and And uh, I'm sure that you have thought about these things as well. And uh, one of the key things that this passage addresses is chastening, and you listen to our prayer request this morning, and you can think about your own life, and, and uh, it is something I believe that is real for all of us. And this chapter falls right after, as you would expect chapter 12 to do, to follow after chapter 11, which is the famous um, Chapter of Faith. And it tells us, chapter 11 tells us what faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And it tells us that without faith we cannot please God. It is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And that chapter includes a list of great men and women strong, of strong faith, who did please God and who were willing to die rather than compromise their faith. And they're given as examples of how faith works in the lives of God's people. In real life, people who claimed the promises of God and look beyond life here on earth. And they obeyed God and followed him even when they didn't understand. And then we come into chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us also, like those people in chapter 11, those people lived lives of faith and let us also live like they lived. They form, the chapter 11 people form the great cloud of witnesses that we see here in this first verse. And this cloud is not just a puffy cloud like you see on a summer day, a beautiful, fluffy, white cloud that little children may lie on their back and watch and imagine what it is, different shapes and so on. But this is rather a great cloud and an overcast sky. The sky is covered. It is a great cloud of witnesses. And these witnesses are as they who give testimony, like in Matthew 18, 16, by the mouth of two or three witnesses. So these witnesses saw something, experienced something, and they're sharing, they're telling uh, what they believe and know and what has happened. They testify of how right and how rewarding the life of faith is. That this is the best way. This is the right way. And their life is worth it. This life is worth it for the long haul. For here and for eternity. We see that when we read chapter 11. And it challenges us and encourages us. Now some some interpret these witnesses as uh, as watching us and cheering us on. But the primary, um, uh, even with the stands uh, and the racetrack as a metaphor, uh, I'm not sure if that really applies or not here. But the primary, um, the primary interpretation, I feel, of this, of this cloud of witnesses is that they bear testimony by their life. And there are two practical injunctions, instructions that are given to us in that first verse of chapter 12. And they are, let us lay aside every weight and let us lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race of that is set before us. So there are weights. What are these weights? And what he is speaking of is any encumbrance, any unnecessary weight that hampers our progress. And I I thought about the story in Elisha's time. Uh, Jerusalem was besieged by the Syrian army. And people were starving to death and there were very desperate times. And you remember how the Syrian army heard, in quotes, God made them hear noises in the night that sounded like an army coming at them. And it terrified them. And they raced away to escape this army. They fled in terror. And the next day, some lepers who were about to die decided they'll just go to the Syrian camp and see is there anything, maybe some trash outside the camp or something that they can eat. They're going to die anyway. And when they got there, the place was deserted. And there was plenty of food. And the place was just empty. Everybody was gone. And they began feasting. And then they were kind of convicted that hey, you know, this isn't right for us. We should let the people in the city know. So they went back and let the people in the city know. And the king sent some scouts to see, could this really be, or is this just a trap? And sure enough, it was like they said, the place was empty and they could track them. They could track that army by all the stuff that was laying along their way that they threw away. Uh, it says that the road was full of garments and weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And so the messengers came back and told the king, you know, they didn't need it. They were running for their lives. What's the good of having this extra coat and this suitcase if I lose my life? They threw everything aside and were running for their lives, they thought. They wanted nothing to slow them down. And so the same here, to set aside, lay aside, give up even legitimate and uh, innocent things that could be a distraction in our Christian life, whatever would interfere with our growth and victory and our usefulness in the kingdom. And often that is a, a matter of prioritizing, and so that the important things, the most important things, get the most attention in terms of time and that we concentrate on those things most. Uh, Like Paul also wrote about a good soldier of of Christ, that he's not engaged and doesn't entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him, who enlisted him as a soldier. So, lay aside every weight and the sin that ensnares. That's a definite set aside for us. Every sin that ensnares us. One translation says that cleverly clings to us, that clings so closely and it entangles us and defeats us. And in whatever category it is, it needs to be recognized and addressed. Whether it's lust of the flesh, like John wrote about in 1 John, feeding and indulging in wrong physical appetites, the lust of the eyes, covetousness, The pride of life, pride in all its forms, whether in possessions, abilities, accomplishments, status, we heard about with the Pharisees, appearance, whatever it is, that those things are dealt with and put to death and crucified and run with endurance the race with perseverance, with patience. And if we stumble, we rise up. We do not quit. That's what those people did in chapter 11. And that's how we need to run as well. So this cloud of witnesses are examples of saints who laid aside weights and sins and ran the race. And we're called to do like they did. But we have to notice something in the next verse that is really the core of, our, of what we've already looked at. And that is looking unto Jesus. In other words, we are to be looking unto Jesus. And in that, in that setting, with that looking, with that relationship, We are laying aside. We are running with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. So while we're living this Christian life, we are looking unto Jesus. Actually, it is the other way around. We are looking unto Jesus as we live this Christian life. It gives it here as, a, as a, a phrase that is describing what's going before. An activity that we are involved in while we're doing this that came before it. It actually begins there. Looking unto Jesus. Our eyes are set on him zeroed in and focused on Jesus. We are concentrating on Jesus Christ. He is the goal and the pursuit of our life. He is the source of eternal life. He is our hope, our only hope. I had to think of Jesus himself when he started out on his last trip to Jerusalem. And he knew that at Jerusalem, he would be tried, condemned, and crucified on the cross for our redemption. And it says that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. In Isaiah it seems to refer to that, I didn't jot down the, uh, the reference, but it, to- it speaks of him setting his face like flint, there was focus and resolve and determination. The looking as we look unto Jesus, it it affects our faith. Looking unto Jesus affects our faith. It describes him as the author and finisher of our faith. The founder, the pioneer, the forerunner and leader uh, going before us. And the finisher of our faith, the perfecter who brings it to maturity, completion. So he enables our starting, he enables our walking and our finishing by faith. As we look unto Jesus, our faith is affected. And looking to Jesus is an inspiration to us. We already noticed that he endured the cross and despised the shame and sat at the right hand of God's throne. And he did that for the joy that was set before him. So that should be an encouragement and a challenge to us as well, the uh, people in in uh, Hebrews eleven, they saw a city. They saw something before them that they weren't experiencing now. It was in the future. So we greatly appreciate that about Jesus. We admire. We admire that about him, because through that suffering. Redemption was provided for us. And then he calls us to just consider Jesus and compare what Christ endured with what we have endured. We know the story of his trial and crucifixion and how hateful the Jews were toward him, how they despised him and physically abused him. And the, uh, the writer here says, you haven't resisted sin to that degree. Either in temptation or in persecution to the point that you bled. So don't be, you know, think about Jesus and what he endured. You know, compared to him, you really haven't suffered that much. And take heart. Look at what Jesus suffered. And by His grace, you can bear it. You can overcome. <clears throat> you know, this passage, that, these verses that we've looked at, refers, refers to two uh, sources of inspiration and motivation. One is the cloud of witnesses that we've been talking about. And the other is Jesus Christ Himself, our Savior. And the cloud of witnesses is made up of faithful saints, Examples of faith and courage, of endurance, and biographies can be inspirational. I've often been inspired by biographies of good people, and their lives, the lives of those folks can make a case for us joining the race, believing the good promises, believing the good outcomes. And, and it's also great encouragement to see uh, what God did for those people because it's not just stories about and references to people who did well. It is a record of what God did for people and he will do that for us. If God helped them, surely he'll help me. Yes, that's true. So that cloud of witnesses is a great encouragement to us. But that cloud of witnesses can't help us in themselves. They can't pick us up. They can't carry us. They can't redeem us. They can't comfort us. They can't give us grace. They can't give us life. We're thankful for the crowd of witnesses we're thankful for brothers and sisters in real life that are an encouragement to us. But we, we want to be looking to Jesus. What a source of inspiration. And really when we see the cloud of witnesses, the things that encourage us are what Jesus, what God has done in them. Then looking to Jesus yields the fruit of righteousness from chastening. So look to Jesus, he said, and be inspired. And look to Jesus and remember this. You have forgotten this. The exhortation, which speaks to you as to sons, actually quoted from Proverbs. My son, do not despise The chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful, nevertheless, Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What exactly is chastening? Usually, we think often we think of punishment, and it can include punishment, but here in Hebrews, it is a discipline that is a training, a correction. An education that comes through difficult experiences. Here's a, a working definition of this kind of chastening: Difficult experiences that will, by our right and worshipful response and the gracious work of God's spirit, will produce within us spiritual fruit a more godly character and a stronger faith. Difficult experiences that will, when we respond right and God's spirit works within us, it will produce within us spiritual fruit, more godly character, and a stronger faith. How can we tell if something we are experiencing is a chastening? Well, that's a good question. And here's what I've finally concluded, and it works for me, that it's really any hard experience that adds stress to life. Any difficulty that would have the potential to frustrate us, or anger us, or grieve us, or whatever. Any suffering or hurt that we really wish would go away. It could be emotional pain from rejection, or mistreatment, or betrayal. Or it could be physical suffering, or it could be stressful circumstances, like the loss of a job, loss of property, or an accident. You can think. You can think of your own life and what's been going on there in, your, in these past weeks and days and what comes to your mind as a difficult thing that you're dealing with. It can be minor. It could be so small as a painful splinter. It could be a pen that won't write. I had a little, um, just as it was a minor chastening last Sunday morning. I got here and um, noticed uh, when it was time for the sermon that I didn't have a pen. So fortunately we have a cup back there under the mailboxes with some extra pens and I went back and got one, picked it up and wrote on a little scrap piece of paper, and it wrote, came back up here, and then it quit writing. And it was just, it would do little skips and streaks and I couldn't even, and dents in the paper. But, yeah, it was, it was a little frustrating. But it was a minor thing, but it, I had to settle down a little bit, Leon. But it could be something very major, and that's, I guess, what we think about more often, and, and then often in, things in between, all sorts of things. A little over a week ago, a prayer request was sent to CLP employees. And the first report said that a Roy Swartzentruber, 33 years old, from Missouri, was severely burned in a welder explosion, I don't know any details about that part. His prognosis is grim, so please pray especially for the family. They've had so many major losses lately, including Roy's wife's dad, less than a month before, died, and Roy's younger brother died this past July 4th. And Roy and Jana, that's the wife, also lost an 11-year-old baby last year. This family has five children. Report number two. The doctor said Roy has third-degree burns on 72% of his body. His eyes look okay at this time. Jana can go in and see him before long. He's in very critical condition. Please pray. The doctor said he will have to be in the hospital a long time and require lots of surgeries. The family asked if he will pull through. The doctor said they will do their absolute best. Report three. A doctor came out now and had a pretty grim report. Roy's burns are so deep that his major organs are not working well. Please pray for Jana and his children. Report number four. Just got word that Roy passed away. A blessed relief for him, but feel so sorry for his family. That family has really been through the mill. Several observations from our passage. We are not to despise chastening. We're not to scorn it or be discouraged by it. That's one observation. A second observation, chastening is evidence of God's love, of his fatherhood, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Sons receive chastening from their fathers. No chastening, no father. Illegitimate not sons. A third observation. As we respected and feared our human fathers, so much more we should subject ourselves to our heavenly father's chastening. Another observation, God's chastening has a holy purpose. Earthly parents disciplined us as it seemed best to them, but they're not fallible, infallible. They may have misjudged the infraction. I could tell you stories about that. Sometimes they discipline according to their moods sometimes irritated and angry, sometimes their discipline is not to the best effect. But our Heavenly Father's discipline is designed for our profit, that we benefit, that we be partakers of His holiness. And as sovereign God, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13 says, He will not allow Any temptation to come to us beyond what what we are able to bear. Beyond what He is able to help us bear. And I think this works very well with Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Heavenly, holy purpose in chastening. And he points out that chastening hurts, and we already knew that. It's not a joyful experience. And the last, but if we respond to God as God would have us to, If we accept the training, there is a peaceable fruit of righteousness. So when chastening comes, we can respond wrong, and I have responded wrong. And when we do, we will not benefit until we acknowledge we're responding wrong. What are some wrong responses? We can be resentful. He told us not to scorn his chastening. We can be disgusted. We can be frustrated. We can grumble and complain. And you know, really, if we accept what the scripture teaches us, we are complaining about God's sovereign Work in our lives in what He's allowing. <laughs> we can become discouraged <clears throat> and despair and become hopeless. And some people quit. I thought about the seed fallen in the stony places. They start out cheerfully with joy, it says. But then when tribulation and trouble and persecution comes, they're tempted to quit, and they quit. We can become fearful. What will happen to me? We can be angry. We can become bitter. And he especially points out bitterness in the scripture that we read. The injustice of this. We want to respond rightly to chastening. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one shall will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become many, become defiled. Covering areas that uh, we can be weak in and falter in, and may be chastened in. And chastened for. Be careful lest we fall short of the grace of God and not experience the grace to lift us through this and grow us from it, but rather, and that, that it would result instead in bitterness. That would be a terrible thing and not only affect us, but affect others around us. Some right responses. <clears throat> I'll just list a few uh, practical things, I think, that that are helpful to me. One is just a prayer for help. And I'll call each of these a prayer because I think it is a cry to God. We need to acknowledge God in this. We're looking unto Jesus. And so here this difficulty comes. And we pray for help. I need you, Lord. It acknowledges God. The, uh, difficulties can, for, and the greater the difficulty, the greater we feel this. Our need and our dependence on God, and that's a good thing, if it drives us to our knees before God. It, it does that to us in ways that doesn't seem to happen when everything's going well. Uh, Think about the disciples on Galilee. And the storm came. They thought before the storm that things were going well. They were having a nice boat ride. But in the storm, they became frightened and very disturbed. And the ship was sinking. And they cried out, help us Jesus. A cry for help. Number two, a prayer for submission, a prayer of submission. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of Spirits? Submit, surrender, accept what it is. This is here. Accept that God has a purpose. Remember that the Father of Spirits allows these things for our prophet from verse 10 yes we can pray for deliverance that's not wrong in chapter 11 people did and some were delivered others found grace to go through to the end to die and some terrible deaths but a prayer of submission God you are in this and you allowed this and there is purpose in it and I submit to your will here in this thing. And then a prayer for insight. What is there here for me to learn? What would you have me to learn? Humility? Maybe I need to apologize to somebody? Maybe that's where this chastening came from. Maybe I need to admit that I was wrong. Maybe I need to forgive someone. Maybe I need to learn patience in ways that I haven't, and endurance. Maybe I see that my relationship with God is lacking, that I need more prayer, more fervor, more holiness, more laying aside of weights and sins, and more earnestly walking, living, Running the race. More looking unto Jesus. Or whatever. Many lessons. Then a prayer for grace. To help in time of need. Hebrews 4. He says he is so approachable. And he is ready to help us in our time of need. And we do need him. And we do need to pray for grace to help to do the right thing. To be the right person, to become the right person. And then finally, fifth, a prayer of thanksgiving is in order. Thankful for pain. Paul said in Ephesians 5 verse 20, giving thanks always for all things. In everything give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5. Thought about Paul's thorn in the flesh. He could have gotten frustrated, resented that problem. He could have even gotten bitter about it. And remember, it, he called it a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. But God allowed it. And God wanted him to learn something else. Paul prayed, please, three times, take this away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And Paul said, what a wonderful lesson. Thank you for that lesson. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I thought of that song, If on a Quiet Sea. Beautiful song. And in that song, in the second stanza, it has these words. "Blessed, Blessed be the tempest, kind the storm, which drives us nearer home. What is chastening? Difficult experiences that will, by our right and worshipful response and the gracious work of God's Spirit, produce within us spiritual fruit, a more godly character, and a stronger faith. In those that are trained thereby, or exercised thereby, is the way it says it, in, uh, in the King James. So as we are exercised thereby and as we grow, we learn about laying aside weights and sins and running with patience, with endurance, looking unto Jesus. And in the end, With God's grace, by God's grace, we can endure and we can join that crowd of witnesses for God's glory. May the Lord help us. Shall we have a closing song?